world, I'm Eric Dye. I'm Jeremy Smith. And I'm Coach Schneider. And you're listening to the 144th Church Mag Podcast. Well, hold on, Phil. Phil, I think we're going too far down the political aspect. Yeah, you're right. We probably should continue just to call it fake news then. And major news uh, stations spin that stuff all the time. But we're talking about actual fabrication of news. This week's podcast is brought to you by Jeremy's Church Tech Devotional Rebuilding. This devotional can be done on your own or with an entire church tech team, week by week, day by day, however you like. This devotional is for church tech by church tech. Learn more about rebuilding on the Church Mag Press website at churchmag.press. That's churchmag.press. This week we talk about post-truth. What's post-truth? What does it mean? Why does it matter? Keep listening and hopefully we'll find you some answers. If you'd like to join the conversation or ask a question, use the CMAGCast hashtag or email us directly at podcast at churchmag, and we'll share your comments on an upcoming episode. Now, let the fun begin. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Church of Mag podcast. And when I say exciting, I mean just another one. The lies you tell. <laughs> Well, welcome nonetheless to another podcast. We don't really know if it's exciting yet. We can't really say it is because we don't know what we recorded yet. Unlike unlike what Phil believes, time travel is not possible, so we can't do that. No, it's fine. I'm actually living... I, I, you're actually wrong on this one here. I live backwards. I am uh, getting I am getting younger every day. Yeah, I'm, so I've already experienced today. In so many ways, Phil, in so many ways. My time stream is backwards. And Jeremy has two-year-olds, so he doesn't know what time it is. Too early, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's a TARDIS? No, two-year-olds. That'll give you some time travel action. Anyway, um, in the back channel of Slack, we were talking about what we're going to talk about on the podcast, because that's what we do. That's how we roll. And you guys are talking about post-truth. You're like, let's talk about post-truth. And then Chris, even this morning, which is his afternoon, because he's in Europe, was like, said something about post-truth. And I'm sitting here trying to get my coffee ready, etc. And I'm like, what the heck is post-truth? So guys, I don't know what this is. Someone explain this to me. What is post-truth? This subject that we're supposed to be talking about. So it was, during the election, there was a whole process that kind of became popular and Phil, I'll let you kind of tackle the more poignant part of it. Um, but basically with Trump, he was spurring off everything and anything he wanted to say. And a lot of times it wasn't honest. And so one of the big things about this election that has really been um, kind of at the forefront of it was that they were evaluating if what they were saying was true. And a lot of the Republicans and some of the Democrats were not saying what was honest as far as um, what had already happened. So we're not talking about what's going to happen. We're talking about what's already happened so that they can win the debates um, as they were talking against their opponents. And so um, the media decided to label this whole process of it doesn't matter what people think, um, doesn't matter what people say, because we're going to stay on board no matter what. And so it's considered post-truth at this point, as far as the election was concerned. And it, it just in regards to the media or just in general? In general, because I think post-truth is um, it was a, a huge cultural phenomenon. And yes, it's been there forever. And I got some thoughts on that in a second. But it was basically denying facts over feelings. Like, so like, 
Well, this is factually not true. Yeah, I don't know. It feels right. Oh, wow. There was a famous, who was it that was the famous person that said, we don't care what the truth is. It matters more what people feel. Uh, I forget. It's even more absurd than what I just said. I didn't even say it as absurd as what he said, because the reporter that was talking with him was saying, what are you talking about? The facts are important. And he said, no, you are completely incorrect. And they got to the point that the, um, I think it was Newt Gingrich. It was the point that he was literally arguing, like yelling at her that she is wrong and she doesn't know what she's saying. The, the, the thing about this is that, yeah, like what Phil said, it's happened for a long time. It's kind of the saying of, you know, who who writes history? Well, it's usually those that that win the wars. And so, you know, the whole the whole our whole outlook on history and 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 even facts can become. Not relative. I mean, we can see, we can see in the scripture it talks about you know one man's story sounds true until you hear the other, right? Like getting another perspective. So in some way, I can see what they're saying about the feel, but what they're, how they're using it and what they're saying really, oh, that that's man. Whew. But this goes beyond the whole postmodernism of your story is true and my story is true at the same time, even if we um, have completely separate processes. This is talking about the truth of the matter, the facts of the determination, not the experiences we've had. Well, okay, hold on. Let's, let's back some things up. Um, as a historian and I'm not fully educated one, but as a historian, there's a difference between perceptual differences and perceptual bias and post-truth. Okay. So like the idea that history is written by the winners is true. They get to tell the story, but the facts generally don't get altered. You know what I'm saying? So like this battle still happened on this day in this location and this team still won how they won, what they did, why they fought because the perception usually for changes, perceptual history usually gets into like motivations. So, for example, like I talked to my kids about Vietnam. We didn't go to Vietnam for some noble causes, in, in my opinion. We went to Vietnam for this and this and this and this. And that's where perceptual history comes in. You have to look at the, you know, what did the victor change? You know, what, what the, and usually it's motivations. Usually it's, it's intentions. It's the philosophical stuff that's easy, easily, easily fudged because there's no objective facts around it, which is why like, whistleblowers are so dangerous for, for governments because they actually can reveal the internal workings of the m- machine and say, no, 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 they're telling you it's for freedom. And they did this. Like, for example, World War One, when the, um, the communists stormed the Winter Palace and uh, found all the uh, hidden diplomatic documents between the, the Russians, the British, and the French. They released um, all this stuff exposing the allies who had been saying all this time, we're fighting for democracy and freedom. And in, in turn, their behind-closed-doors communication said they're all going to redivide up Europe. And we draw them the map. So, like, it was that's a classic example of where when you win, you get to retell that you get to change the story. But the, the, the communists beat them to the punch. What we're talking about here is where there's an objective fact. There is statistical evidence. There's some sort of proof. There's a recording. There is a picture. There's video. There's something that's concrete, objective, that is verifiable fact. And people still deny it because it doesn't feel right. Wow. Okay. And uh, I can see why why th- this was the topic for us to talk about because and of course the election brought a lot of it out but we still see it with a lot of news stories that are shared like you know i'll, I'll I, i'd see a news story and i would click on it and read it and i'm like you know 
There seems to be some, there might be some facts in here. It's written like a news, everything about it looked like a news story, but um, I could see where, I could see where their bias was. And if I wanted to hear that, I would have thought, oh, look at that. This is fact, right? But there was, there, there really was no fact in the story. And I, I, I can, I can see why this, this is really dangerous. Just give me an example of this, Eric. I taught a class on social media back in the summer and I talked about fake news. Okay. Um, because fake news has been going on for a long time but it's just increasing in volume. Um, and there was a story of this random chasm opening up in Mexico. Okay. And it, it just, no one knew why it is all of a sudden just, just over a course of a few days, this giant chasm opened up in Mexico. So a one article shared via CNN said mysterious trench opens in Mexico and it goes through details like where it's at and how big it is um, and, and whatnot. Then an article I found shared by a Christian on Facebook, the, the, the headline was Obama won't defend our borders. So God did this. And it talks about how because Obama won't defend our borders, God is opening God has caused a massive trench to form between Mexico and the US. Okay. The problem is and, and, and they copy all the facts from the scene and article. So it's like it's literally they've copied the fact paragraph. They've added in commentary in the beginning and the end. If you look closely at the facts and look at a map, the border is this, this, this trench is like 50 miles inside the, US, the Mexican border. So it's it's in no way protecting us <laughs> from the quote unquote illegals who are streaming across our border. And then two, it's only a mile long. So it's it's not even so in no way is this any kind of one defense, quote unquote, from you know illegal immigrants Two, in no way do we know God did this for this reason. And three, it's not even a pro, it would even do that. It's just the, the dumbest idea possible. But someone shared it, even though a, a 30 second check on uh, on on uh, Google Maps would tell you that the story is fake. People were sharing it because it felt right. The big thing about this process as far as post-truth is that um, you could prove it pretty quickly that they are incorrect or that they're lying, but that doesn't matter. I mean, we have websites like I think it's Snopes or others where they try to correct or fix and not for any political agenda they did it for democrats and for republicans and then you can do it for anything like people have these old wives tales or something like that and you can go there and they do pretty comprehensive stuff but then there's this mentality of well that's the liberal agenda that's um, people just trying to get away with stuff and then even with the spiritual thing of yeah but god told me well how, what are you talking about? Because God didn't tell me in this process. Yeah, but that's what I believe. And so the whole rationality of the process is kind of thrown out the window and you can't, you almost can't have that rational dialogue, at least with that one person in that process. And so the question is, is at least, and I think this is the church tech angle is how do we go about having these conversations? Because as soon as you engage in the debates, you're trying to get onto their territory into their battlefield of the process. Um, and that's what the internet likes to do. But I wonder if there's a better option that we should be approaching as Christians in this church tech. And, well, it, okay, Jim, it's a great, it's a great point. All right. Um, and not to say anything uh, out of, out of turn, but in my, in, in the, the book on social media that I'm writing, um, I have a scene in the book, and I say scene because it's a little vignette where I talk, where I 
post, post a conversation with a friend. I had a friend who shared an article, um, <laughs> shared an article, um, uh, about, about Snopes. Cause she doesn't like Snopes because she's always sharing fake news and folks keep Snopesing her. Okay. She shares an article about Snopes and about their, their CEO being arrested because he's part of a global liberal Muslim conspiracy to obscure the truth. Okay. So this is the article she shares. I see it and think, what the heck is going on? This is crazy. I open the article up. I start reading it. And and due to our April Fool's Day stuff, I've written satire a few times in my life. <laughs> and the first two paragraphs read the, the perfect kind of satire, right? Just so on the nose. I scroll to the bottom and it says, this article is satire. It is in no way reflects reality. So I replied to, I replied to her post and say, this article is satire. Sorry. She replies, maybe it is, Phil, but they, meaning Snopes, are not the final authority. Me, of course not. But truth is truth. Fact is fact. And conspiracy theories are just that, unproven theories. She replied, to quote a famous American, what difference at this point, what difference does it make? then she says it works for some thought i'd try it i just believe snopes isn't the know-all be-all authority there is only one uh, truth and facts are just that facts there are some that think god is an unproven theory and (laughs) which none of this makes any sense at all and then i reply i agree that he is a final authority but i just don't think with um don't agree with sharing misleading articles to make a point. And the difference is that is the truth. The article says that's meant only for entertainment, but you shared it as if it were fact. Mm-hmm. And she replies, there's no fool like an old fool is the saying. Hopefully you'll never resemble the remark. LOL. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. You're talking about God and you're lying. Right, right. And, and the article admitted that it oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, that's the kind of thing we're up against. And I, as far as post, people want to, um, group post truth with Donald Trump, but it's not. It's, 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 it's been around forever. You know, before yeah, we, would, we would call it, you know, ignorance, you know, we would just call it, you know, just, just stupidity that you won't, you won't respect fact presented to you. Um, it's been a huge problem. Yeah. I, I wish, I, I kind of wish that they would start referring to it more as post truth and fake news. Because while it is quote unquote fake news, I think post truth um, points out closer to the root what it is, and 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 leaves room for quote unquote legitimate news to fall into the same post truth trap. Because they do, I'm pretty sure that 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 major news outlets. I mean, there's, I mean, every news outlet has had plenty of retractions, and they're having to do a retraction because they were trying to spin some facts. In and 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 leave things out. If I had it my way, because you know that's how the world should be. Yes, is that um, I would rather just call it sin because that's ultimately <laughs> what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's an well, agenda. There's a I'm going to fly off the handle. There's this mentality of it has to be my way because I just can't accept what the alternative is. I know for me, as I was thinking about this whole process of post truth, the very first time I thought about it, um, there was that whole issue with vaccines and autism a while back. The eventually got proven to be debunked now people jumped on board because they were really passionate and so this kind of takes in a mentality of the post-truth in and of itself the people that kind of get caught in it i don't think are bad guys until 
you realize that there's some issues there because the parents were wanting to help their children. They were needing to find a cause because they were losing their mind because it's so, so difficult to raise children with severe autism. And they wanted these needles to be the issue so they could have someone to blame and they could Mm -hmm. finally say, you know what, it's not my fault. And so we can actually kind of externalize some of these this anxiety that's going on for myself. Right. And so they blamed the vaccines and they had some proof from this one scientist that was finally on their side. And every single other scientist said, no, he's wrong. So they were now the vill- villains, too. And then it came to light that it actually was true. And then it came to light after that, that the people were so on board with this that they were writing um articles against these people before situations would even start so if the agency that supported us decided to turn their back on us we had a slander piece against them that we could post right away and in that moment when they shifted from we are trying to prove this point to we will go at it at all costs that's when sin came into the process of i'm going to defend this no matter what even if it doesn't matter about my child anymore because i have to be right right but i think the sin label only works for us yeah it doesn't work for the wider world yeah i mean i, 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 I see post i see post in society yeah i think sure. you know we even see post-truth in things like creation versus evolution as well where where you know people are like well you know the facts can't i mean can the facts fully support that there is a creator well it depends on how you interpret the facts well, cetera, see, hold, you know? hold, on, hold on guys we're, i think see i think that the beauty of post-truth and i actually don't like the phrase post-truth i think it elevates it too much because it makes it sound like it's something like postmodernism. Postmodernism is nothing. Postmodernism is just is laziness. I want to believe what I want to believe. You want to believe what you want to believe. I don't want to argue about it because I'm a hipster and I got a mustache. So let's just let it go. You know, that's I don't like post truth. It, it legitimizes, you know, um, falsehood in front of the facts. The, the issue with creationism and, and evolution, that's a philosophical argument. People can actually have that discussion. You know, there's there's some case for from both sides. The difference is with a post-truth situation, you're making an assertion. I have facts, actual facts that you are, are either ignoring or are just uh, are lying about. So now, we, now, when we talk about the fact, we also should should bring up since we're in this topic, we should also bring up the fact that. That when people throw around statistics, that statistics, everyone knows that they could be manipulated. Oh, certainly. You know, and so we, we, we do have to keep that in light as well. You know, just say, well, you know, you have the facts. Well, you know. Like for, for example, and I'm not going to get too political here because I'm an independent, so I don't really care. But, you know, <laughs> the Republicans were, were all over over President Obama because um, the, or, well, the Democrats keep touting President Obama's, you know, job job creation because uh, we've, we've been creating jobs every quarter for the past, I think, three or four years, and the unemployment level has dropped, you know, from, from a tie a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, the argument on the, on the Republican side is that the unemployment level has dropped because people are dropping out of the job market. They've been unemployed for a few years, can't find a job, and are then listed as not seeking employment by the, the Labor Bureau and so the the unemployment stats, though they are dropping, they their significant drop is due to folks just giving up. And I think I think there's truth on both sides of that argument, and that's that's again a fair argument where you can argue over the data. What I'm talking about is like, for example, when a certain person asserted that Mexico is sending us their rapists and murderers. 
There is zero evidence for that. It's an entire feelings-based statement. And if we did, if we did dig up the data of, you know, you know, the the limits caught by the, by INS or by ICE and, and went through and detailed, you know, okay, here are a hundred thousand illegals caught in the past, you know, three years. And here's their, their, their data. Um, of these hundred thousand, we only had, we only found a hundred who were violent criminals. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and then they'd say, well, you know, these, the rest of them, you just don't okay, know about. Okay. All right. So, okay. You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about here. Okay. I have a better understanding of this. You're right. We sh- yeah, you're right. We probably should continue just to call it fake news then. Like you said, it's not an argument over the, the data, like you're saying, because th- there's data that you can, you know, well, there's this bit of data. Well, there, you know, you can go back and forth with the data and the interpretation of the data. But what we're talking about. And major news works, news, news uh, stations spin that stuff all the time. Totally. But we're talking about actual fabrication of news. But it even, even goes beyond that. Cause here, here's my classic example of post-truth. It's any conversation I've had with a Christian over 50 years old. Okay, whoa. <laughs> Easy go. <laughs> because right. no, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go there because they're not going to hear this. So, <laughs> well, hold on, Phil. Phil, I think we're going too far down the political aspect or the, the ramifications of post-truth. And I think we're all on the same board. It's wrong. It's bad. However you want to classify it. Here's to make you a church tech um, conversation that's actually appropriate for this podcast. What do we do with it as far as church tech within the realm of being in the church? How do we, how do we either combat it or how should we approach it so that we can help the pastors and the church? Because obviously, obviously the pastor has his standpoint that he needs to address. But where does church tech come in in this conversation? So many people are using technology that it is really just a manifestation of what used to happen face to face. I mean, we all remember the um, oh, now the name fell out of my head. The, the type of tactics that like Amway would use about oh Procter and Gamble. You know that Procter and Gamble was owned by Satanists and like just like some of the crazy stories that you would that you would that you would hear. I remember telling my kids something about that Dr Pepper was a prune flavor or something like that, and they're like, "Really, Dad? No, I don't know." And so being the um, being the generation of growing up with Google, naturally, they fact-checked it right away, which this opens up a whole other can of worms about who's providing facts and whatnot, but I digress. Um, it pulls up a Snopes talking about that being false and how long, how far back the rumor goes. And so I was completely wrong, but I did felt, felt like I couldn't be laughed at too much by my kids because like what I was said made Snopes. So like, it wasn't just like I made it up. Like it's been a thing for years. Right. So I was wrong. I was proven wrong and everything. Um, but that was something that stemmed back from, you know, face to face and verbal and how kind of urban legend and, and got like, I don't what all the, all these different terms. You, you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, and I feel like things like f- social media has really accelerated that because what happened is, is news agencies, I mean, you can demonize them all you want, but the way news is supposed to operate, whether you believe we're on to a new age of, go- of yellow journalism or not, is the fact that there are gatekeepers of, you know, what, what do we let out? What do we let people see? What do we let, you know, what kind of news are we sharing? Not just like carte blanche, we're going to share everything that we find out, but gatekeepers, we're going to let this through, we're not going to let that through, etc. But there was, there was, they were, uh, journalism was part of the, the, the part of respected society. They were trusted gatekeepers, right? 
All right, just like you trusted, you trust a doctor or you trust a police officer, you trusted the gatekeeper. But that a lot of that has been has been wiped away, and it's been made even worse by the fact that every one of us have become journalists in a sense by the way we share on Twitter and Facebook. We have become uh, uh, gatekeepers, right? We're gatekeepers, but we have no accountability, and we don't respect that. You know, it's like we're all practicing home remedies or something, you know, like if everyone started practicing medicine, like they're practicing journalism, journalistic ethics, we would be in really rough shape, right? And so I think maybe the discussion, and I I guess church techs can lead this, why not, is, is talking about, you know, what are you sharing? What are you doing? But a lot of that, to me, gets down to fundamentals of Christianity that we have been struggling with for years, far before social media. And I'm, I'm sure if both of you can can speak to that. Well, I think that for church tech, the fundamentals is the pastoral aspect of things. At least, it's, I mean, some people fill both roles. So great for you, but I think that it comes back to us where the faith meets the technology aspect of things. And, and I totally agree with you, Eric, that this should not be a reactionary conversation. It should be a proactive conversation. And for a lot of churches, this probably was a non-issue because they've already had this conversation with people of fact-checking for your faith and for the church and for the pastoral staff and how to best approach this. And so they've already had the conversation. They don't have to worry about this as much. Obviously, there will still be the one or two people that you need to address in church or whatever. But it's because you've had the conversation of why is Snopes actually a good thing? Why is checking your facts and not believing the old wives' tale and just kind of going with it? Why is that actually detrimental to the mission of Christ? And how is technology perpetuating that? And how can you go that extra step just to verify that one fact that you had a question about? And it doesn't have to be the liberal media agenda, blah, 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 because you can fact check it a lot of different ways on the Internet. Um, But you need to make sure you take that two seconds that it takes just to read the full article instead of just reading the headline. See, I think it goes beyond this, guys. I I really do, because I'm sorry, (laughs) because as... um, Growing up in a small town church and now being a discipleship pastor, I have to talk to Christians all the time about their superstition and their false beliefs. And it's, it's pervasive. Like I've got, I talk to pastors all the time. Pastors will say stuff to me. And I'm like, well, that's not true. <laughs> you know, because it's superstition and Christians are, are wants to believe those kind of things. I don't know what makes it so gullible, but like it is just, a, it's like a disease within the church. And my word to the, our listeners are check yourself first. Do you have any unfounded beliefs? You know, do, do you do you go beyond the gospel in some areas? I mean, it's guys, it's it's a it's a sickness, and it's something we have to watch out for because it goes beyond the news you're reading. It goes beyond just some of the truths you believe, even about the Bible. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I had a discussion two years ago, folks, about the blood moons because they were just convinced that. The blood moons were huge. Just it was huge here, huge. I had to go buying canned goods and stuff, and asking me what our what our plans were for. Like my plan is to sit at home and watch it because it looks cool, and then go to bed. But is that the mantle that church tech should be taking on, or no, is that that's a support my, that's, role? That's my point. I think it's just where we just need to be faithful Christians 
and just make sure that we're we're in the word and that we're not being we're not being fooled. And then when our friends come to us with stuff, we can lovingly talk to them and say, I don't think that's accurate. Let's go to pastor together. And, and I agree with that, but I also think that church tech has that realm of what are some good internet basics that you should be teaching? And and I don't, I know Definitely. of some churches that do this. I don't know of any standard out there. Right. And I wish that there was some kind of, this is one of the leading gold standards on how you should use the internet well for Christians. Not that right. everything has to be spiritualized because there's good resources out there just for parenting and being an adult and all that stuff as well. Um, right. but, I, but there's no like authority of whenever you see a blood moon, how do you rationally or how do you appropriately talk about this on social media, especially when someone else is going to actually have that belief and stick with that belief and always has had that belief. How do you approach that? Well, because there are other Christians watching you and there's other non-Christians watching right. you. And that conversation is really important, at least on the non theological level of internet basics and how do you how do you converse and debate well online yeah i I think it goes even beyond that jeremy because i've got people who are in in who are into this post-truth quagmire who don't use the internet you know what I'm saying like it goes it goes beyond even that, but that but that's outside of our realm at that well, point. That, that's that's with true. The, that's with true. The conversations and they might be still getting their information online, and so that part of it still applies. Yeah, and, and so I want to. I'm trying. I guess I'm trying to be very specific because um, we could ha- have all these conversations, and we're outside the realm of at least the podcast. And so I want to kind of fill it in a little bit. My two favorite post truth conversations I had. Um, before post-truth was a thing was I had one guy who was telling me how, you know, our schools are so unpatriotic these days. We don't even do the Pledge of Allegiance. And I said, every student in my district has Pledge of Allegiance every morning before school starts. It's required. And he's like, well, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> that was a good moment. And then I loved the people who told me that the Common Core, which is a, st- a stupid system, but the Common Core teaches kids communism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I, I teach the the social studies department, and we have we have, like one of our standards of, of Common Core is to help students understand and pursue the American dream, which is as capitalistic as it comes. So. I think you're wrong. <laughs> it's just those kind of things, though. That I I didn't. That was those are people who were who were sans internet. There was just you know they're talking with other Christians. Now those other Christians may have got from the internet, but I think you're I think you're right. The conversation goes beyond church tech and to how how because I think because I, I remember um I did an article for my own website um about Christians who posted the um that Facebook status like Facebook should go public so make sure you post this thing on your on your profile so they can't steal your your stuff right mm-hmm. and I said what is it about Christians that makes us so gullible and I think it's because we want to assume the worst of the world because our eschatology says when the world gets gets bad enough God comes back and while there might be some truth to that I think we have this it's kind of sick glee in the idea that the world's a, a darker place than it really is. Sure. And, and it's perpetuated because, I mean, let's be honest, we have our own Christian fortunes in Facebook groups. Oh, totally. And, and it's sick. It's very disgusting to see what happens in those places completely unchecked. And it's, it's basically the, the prayer circles where all the gossipers used to be so that they made sure they kept everybody in check. But yeah. now we have the internet and we can talk about it for anything and everything and share a quick link and then leave because 
that's how we use the internet. Well, it's very we unfortunate. Had, we had, you know, before Donald Trump, we had Pat Robertson as our source of Christian, you know, post truth. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. He would say things on on Seven Hundred Club that just were factually false. But my grandma sure believed him. Yep. Yeah, and as church texts, I think it's um, it can be difficult because because Facebook and these things they're they're used by everyone. So it isn't just technologists who are using it. And so I think that it it becomes difficult because it is talking more about the gen the 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 masses. Generally, and, but I think as 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 a church tech culture, what we can do within the church is you know is is ask the questions, you know, be able to 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 question people, you know, to to back up their facts and stuff like that. And honestly, every Christian should be doing that. But in some ways, I can't help but wonder if, as church techs, we have a little bit of a wider scope and understanding. Of, of how it all works because we study it and we know it, you know, maybe we, we do have more agility and we understand it and see it clearer than, than, than others and just don't really realize it because we're so close to it. And I guess maybe that, I don't know what, if, what kind of answer that is um, as far as what we should do as church text. But at this point, that's really all I can see that we can do. I think one of the things that we haven't done well is be proactive in this process. That we haven't had that conversation as well as we could. And from a, a whole fundamental level that we are talking with everybody and kind of standardizing that process. I don't have a solution because I'm in the middle of it still. I'm fighting. Sure. And, and maybe the question is you're writing that social media thing. Is it possible that we could start to try to standardize those conversations so that we can be proactive, not reactive, because the reactive right. is when we get all emotional and can't even talk about it. We're so upset right. that we have to stick on that and, one. And maybe that and maybe that is the answer. Maybe maybe as church techs we can lead it and say, Look, you know, Pastor, there's this social media course that I think that we should do. You know, I mean, why shouldn't church be leading the charge of this is how the Internet works. This is what's going on. You may be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. You know, be a light in a dark place. Be a salt. And that right there is where I think that either church mag or somebody can come in and say, you know what? That's an excellent idea. If you want to start and do your own, that's fine. But here's a great foundation for you to build off of. of Here's how to good, have good conversations. And here's a good way to respond whenever people are saying things that you think is theologically unsound and here's how you can get your pastor involved and here's some things you can give to your pastor to help them get on board so that if this ever becomes an issue it's not just you trying to figure this out it's you and the whole team because let's be honest when you go it alone that's usually when things fail i think that that's a big problem of what happened with um the whole election is it was me trying to prove you wrong and then it became me and then eventually some other people that were outside of my social circle that i truly buy into and then it's me against you as opposed to let's just have a team approach and kind of address this appropriately as we move forward yeah you know phil you you have wrapped up um your your social media book which is not a a how-to social media book it really is a fundamental ebook where you uh it's not something that's going to be updated all the time because facebook is different or instagram is different but it's really dealing with the fundamentals of how christians should behave so as as we're getting ready to hand it off uh for rachel to rachel for editing before we get it out there on church mag press my question for you is do you think that this could be easily adapted or maybe this is this is a project for you something that we could offer um 
essentially a, a curriculum that church texts or pastors can get to then use in their church to help to help uh, their parishioners navigate social media. Well, I actually wrote this off of a course I taught at my church. So um, it's it's this uh, book is based off a four week class I did at my church, and I believe I have the recordings of said class. So perhaps we can release that somehow as well. All right. Well, maybe, maybe that, do, do you think that it, do you think like a teacher's guide or something would be helpful? Um, I think the book itself would probably be the teacher's guide. And then you can just, you can just, you can sort through and pull out what you think applies best to your church. But there are four sections in the book. Um, and I taught four weeks in the class. So it kind of worked out that way. All right. Well, you know, um, be looking for that. That's going to be coming out in the next um, month or so. Jeremy's pushing really hard um, on getting some more great stuff on church Mac press and this is uh, this is going to be one of them, I think, for sure, because um, as we've outlined, when we didn't mean to talk about this, this just kind of came up. But uh, you know, hopefully, this can help churches, you know, really lead. lead. This this can help some church techs or pastors or um, anyone who's listening to the podcast and says, "Hey, you know, I think my church needs some help in how to navigate social media," and this would be a great resource. Send us an email, subscribe, and search for previous episodes of the Church Mag Podcast by visiting Church Mag. You'll find a link on the main menu. Go to churchm.ag. That's Church Mag, churchm.ag. And while you're there, send us a message and subscribe to the Church Mag Podcast so you can receive an early release of the show every Friday. Until next week. And I, I want to end this with this one thing, because I have several people that are on both sides, liberal and conservative, that I can see getting very upset by this conversation. And the intention was not to have a political conversation. So if you find that you've struck been struck a chord right now, come talk to us about it, because I would rather have just a conversation about what's going on and why is it that you're upset. The Church Mag Podcast is proudly hosted on buzzsprout.com. Bye-bye.